When I awoke in the morning, I did feel better. My fever had broken and the water skins were full. The insane Atolian had been out to refill them. I told myself that I was lucky not to have been awakened by the lioness eating me and fell asleep again. A little later, the Atolian checked his work on my head and nodded, pleased. He brought me water to drink and asked if I could eat something. I nodded, and he gave me what I thought was probably the last of the dried meat. I held it to my mouth to soften it before I swallowed it in a painful lump. The Aetolian went to where the ceiling of the cave was highest, and he could sit upright with his feet splayed in front of him. He had a knife in his lap, though there had been no sign of the lioness since the day before. Costas will say I know a place and then take you to a lion's den. Welcome, dispossessed wild animals and those stealing their homes. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. It's May 2nd, 2021, and today we are discussing Chapter 4 of Thick as Thieves. This is a great chapter. This is a great chapter. This is the the iconic Lion's Den chapter. Ugh, so good. And we get so many stories in this chapter. We get two myths, the surgery song, Kamet's little four-line poem, this little cave. It's packed with literature. We've got the insane Atolian have been out to refill them, the water skins, because he's kind of, even though he does call Costas an imbecile in this chapter, he's sort of stopped thinking of Costas as stupid and now thinks of him as just out of his goddamn mind. Cameron makes some some strides with how he's thinking of Costas in this chapter. I think by the end of it, like, he's warmed up to Costas enough that he says, like, he can't even feel very superior about, like, the language translation and he also, like, risks, risks a tiny joke at Costas' expense. I did. I literally got a headache reading about the head wound. <gasps> Sitting at the table reading, like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and got- the scene where he pulls his hands away from his head and they're covered in blood. And both of them are covered in blood. Yeah. I mean, head wounds, they bleed a ton. Yeah. Ooh. He got hit with a sword. He got yeah. slashed with the sharp end of a sword in his head, <gasps> where his brain is. That's where he keeps his brain. <laughs> oh, and then the Aetolian dropped his sword in the dirt beside the dead Namreen and grabbed me in his arms. I just called him an imbecile. I was sure he was going to kill me with his bare hands. Oh, Camet, this is just a hug. <laughs> He's hugging you. And the Aetolian just kept repeating over and over that all would be well. Yeah, Costas is not phased at all by any of this. This chapter's thesis is Costas is a bamf. He strode confidently back uphill to those two Namreen. The sword went right through that guy's head. He could knock down a caddy. He is in his element. But we also see um, Costas making assumptions that turn out to be incorrect because he's really confused about why Kamet didn't defend himself against this guy. Right. Uh, and Kamet freaks out at him saying, do you know what they do to any slave who arms himself? Yeah, or even looks at a knife for too long. Yeah, like you imbecile, I've never even picked up a weapon before. Right. And right in that scene, uh, Costa says, trying to be reassuring, I didn't come to this cesspit just to fail 
and leave you dead on the side of the road and Kemet narrates like Atolia. That was a cesspit. A backward savage stinking hole in the ground. I knew because I'd been there. They couldn't read there. They lived like animals. It, it, so. Kemet still has the presence of mind to be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> they both get injured in this chapter. Kemet mm-hmm. gets the head wound and uh, Costas gets scratched by the lion. And Costas, he sewed up Kamet's wound, and Kamet can't do the same for Costas because he doesn't know how, and he feels guilty about it. And, like, um, we, of course, see parallels to Kamet and Costas in these Emmacook and Anakar stories because mm-hmm. Emmacook and Anakar are so different. One is wise and one is brave, uh, but they couldn't survive without each other. And, um,. The first story with the two of them in this chapter is when um, they kill Unsisek, is how I'm going to say the name. I would have said Unsisek. It's probably it. <laughs> Who knows? Anakar saves Imakuk, and that's when Costas asks, is, is he the one always doing the saving? And Kamet says, no. Imakuk saves Anakar when Anakar dies also, so that's where the second myth comes in. In this really Orpheus and Eurydice kind of story. Yeah, this is the first read where I thought of that. You know, I actually just did not make that love story connection mm-hmm. for this before then. <laughs> I anointed like... each other with the oil and they... Because, yeah. they... I mean, of course, the Orpheus and Eurydice story ends in sadness because Orpheus does turn around and he loses Eurydice. But in this story, they emerge triumphant together from the underworld... Mm-hmm. But they emerge mortal. They lose the oil that would have made them immortal. And so from that point on, everyone is susceptible to death. Yeah, it gets... That's right. It gets washed away. Like, the oil on them, I mean, gets washed away, right? When they swim back. Mm-hmm. And they lose the the container that has the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. I like that these two stories we get in this chapter are linked. Because um, I don't... I don't know that we've really seen that yeah they have a continuity mm-hmm. the monster is kind of grendelish this big monster that everyone is afraid of and then Amicook and anakar are brave enough to uh stand up to it and there's an even scarier mother anakar cuts off the hand of this monster and then the second hand also which feels significant in this story I don't yeah. know Ooh. what to do with that, but... I didn't think of that. Yeah. And the solution to the Queen of the Night's anger is to have sex with her. <laughs> because give her they, a they son. killed her son. Yeah, so she's like, give me another son. We'll be square. And and uh, Costas's reaction to this whole story, his first reaction is that Anakar always with a maid. Yeah, that does not... That would not be my main takeaway. <laughs> And then Kamet says, like, no, no, sometimes it's it's Imakuk who has the kid with her. Yeah, that's interesting that it doesn't really matter which of them is doing that. Right. And it's also interesting that here in this story, again, uh, we have missing parts and holes. We don't know how they got the oil from death because the tablet in the Temple of Ennet is cracked. Also, we, we, learn about, we learn about these sort of layers of translation in this chapter because yeah. it's translated from, what's the original language? Enser. 
into Mead and then from Mead into Aetolian. So there are these degrees of separation from the original text. And we, we get parallels, you know, just a few maybe tiny things uh, between their Costas and Kamet's real life and the story. Uh, Kamet draws a little joke saying, you are unsisek to the rodents when Costas kills all the Kagi. And, and Costas does a little, he makes claws with his hands and goes like... <laughs> and another connection I saw that I hadn't thought of before is... Um, so the reason I'm bringing this up right now is um, for Costas and Kamet, their journey is a little bit easier because the moon was nearly full and waxing, Kamet narrates. And it made me think about um, the goddess of the moon is also in this story. Um, it says the goddess of the moon heard his cries, took pity on Imakuk, took pity on him, and sent him to the stepwell of Nemalia, and he follows the moonlight down into the water, into the uh, the Greylands. And then it made me remember the moon goddess is also the goddess who takes pity on the friends Gleamon and Garasthenes in the other story in King of Atolia. That's a great connection. And um, we haven't gotten to this yet, but I wanted to bring it up just because this is where the myth comes in. So in order to get to the Greylands, Imakuk goes down the stepwell of Namalia. And obviously we'll get there in the story, but also Costas falls down a literal well. <laughs> and Kamen has to save his life by bringing him back up. So like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> we uh, hear some talk of a familiar person in yes. this chapter four. Another person who is not mentioned by name. They do not say Eugenides. He is the Aetolian king or my king. Or the king. And it's nice to get Kamet's perspective on this. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> he narrates the Aetolian smiled down at his food, lost in his memories for a moment, and then says when he gets fed up, he climbs up on the roofs to the top of walls. Sometimes he gets drunk first. And then Kamet says, narrates of Costas, abandoning his happy thoughts of the interloper king falling to his death. I feel like this book of all the books, if it were on screen, Kamet should break the fourth wall. I would I would love to see him mugging at the camera. Because it's such a good, it's such a, I don't know, I feel like Kamet's conversation with the reader is such a fundamental part of the story. Yeah. You know? And you're right to say that, that Kamet is having a conversation with the reader more than the other first person narrators in Queen's Thief. So Costas tells Kamet, um, you know, I punched the king in the face. <laughs> and uh, because he was so kind people thought I was a favorite and because of that he thought it was safer to send me here and Kamet's narration is like if the king had forgiven him for assault then he was a favorite wasn't he what greater favor could the king have shown him and then later he couldn't keep his favorite safe and had to send him away I understood, but I wasn't sure the Aetolian did, because he seemed chagrined for himself, not his king. Mm. And that's both Kamet not understanding the situation in Aetolia, and uh, Costas feeling like, oh, people thought I was a favorite, but I don't, you know, maybe he doesn't really like me that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we've talked about what a charged word favorite is before, so yes, it is here as well. Like, I think Costas is, I'm sorry, I think Kamet is also reading into that word a little bit here. Absolutely. Especially 
the usage of like he couldn't keep his favorite safe like that's a really hard singular he has a favorite yeah and Camet also mentions in his narration Atolia in this chapter he calls her as beautiful as the queen of the night and I think in like a previous chapter he had said uh, the only beautiful thing in the country is the queen Um, but he's he reconsiders in this chapter and says that uh, he remembers now that honey cakes since he's so hungry now are actually more beautiful and they wouldn't kill you (laughs) (laughs) one would hope I want to eat those nut cakes. Yeah, they sound good. I always want to eat all the food in books, even bad food. Even caggy? Even caggy. <laughs> that, uh, the vegetable soup with grain in it. Sounds good. I love that we get this, uh, little surgery song in here. And tiny aside, we know from the song that knitting exists in the Queen's Thief universe. That was exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like it should rhyme, but it doesn't really, which in Mm -hmm. my imagination comes around to uh, translation. Mm. We're not not seeing this in the language that it's really supposed to be in. No, actually, I think he told this in Italian. Yeah, but I feel like we're seeing it in English. Uh... This is getting a little meta. (laughs) Isn't it all a translation at the end of the day? Half of it rhymes, though. Yeah, some of it rhymes and some of it doesn't. Yeah, I did think that was a little strange, too. Kamet says that uh, Costas had a farmer's accent and didn't always conjugate his verbs correctly. And he's speaking specifically of, of Costas's versus Kamet's fluency in Atolian, so we know they've at least spoken Atolian some for Kamet to know that, like right here and mm-hmm. maybe other places. Also, Costas having a farmer's accent. We've, we've talked about yeah. class and, uh, and Costas. And how he is from a land-owning family, but a very, very small one. Oh, and we get Costas's nice, like, jokes in this chapter. Like, trying to cheer Camet up. Yeah, tell Camet has a head, head has a head wound. He's sick. Costas wants him to feel better. Like, this is nice, you know? They're pretty good jokes, too. Friendship. Yeah, I laughed. <laughs> and he asks Camet if he knows any jokes. And Camet says, only Cenobid jokes. And because he, he's gotten comfortable with Costas, and so he feels kind of comfortable saying that, and then later he regrets it, because Cenobid jokes are not the kind of thing you tell to a free man. Mm-hmm. And so, like, Kamet is really, like, he's getting comfortable, and then he's pulling back. And in the, in this chapter, he's still, like, every now and then we get a sentence, like, he's, he's still watching the Aetolian for signs of impatience. And there are these layers of misunderstanding, because they get attacked by the Namreen, and then Costas says, why would they send such important, big, scary guys after an escaped slave? It doesn't make sense. The gears are turning in his head. And Kamet mm-hmm. is thinking, this is because they think I'm responsible for the death of Nahusaresh. And I can't tell Costas that. But Kamet doesn't know that that's wrong. Yeah, and then Kamet further compounds this by lying to Costas, saying, like, oh, it's just because of my price. Because he thinks if Costas figures out he's being hunted because of Nehuzeresh, then Costas would just turn Kamet in to save himself from sharing Kamet's fate. Mm-hmm. But of course, at the end of the story, he does give up that information in an effort to save Costas. Oh, 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 oh. Um, ah. Costas asks Kamet about 
who did the translations and can't says they're mine. Uh, and he says, are you translating it just now as you tell it? And Hammett says, I was in Atolia when I translated it into your language. I used to sit sometimes in the kitchens and the workers there liked to ask me about where I came from. Once, when they were telling stories of the Atolian afterlife, they asked me if there were stories of the Mead afterlife. One of them kept asking until I translated Enakar and Imakuk and the Queen of the Night for him. It gave me something to do, so I kept at it. I wonder who that was. chapter four next time we visit a tourist attraction send us your comments questions thoughts chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com be blessed in your endeavors Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available.